this morning, we're going to do something that's, uh, in one sense, absolutely obvious. Uh, Like if I said to you, did you know that water is really wet? Yeah. No, it is, really. And you would say, well, that's a little bit obvious, don't you think, Kelly? It's, you know, that's so obvious. Like, have you guys seen the commercials about Captain Obvious? Have you seen these? Captain Obvious. He says really obvious things. Well, yeah, water's wet. That's pretty obvious, Captain Obvious Kelly. Or if I said something like, man, the Edmonton Oilers sure do make for some great jokes sometimes. <laughs> okay? Like, that's just obvious. Everybody gets that. Um, you know, last night was a perfect example. <laughs> this morning, we're going to say something that's so obvious and yet is really profound. I'm not sure it's profound to say that water's wet, but this morning we're going to talk about something that's absolutely profound at the same time that it's so obvious. I want you to turn, if you would, to Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. It's on page 1. Page 1 of your Bibles, if you're looking at ones underneath the pew. I'm going to guess it's probably on page 1 of just about every Bible in the room. And I'm going to start with verse 26. And I want us to see what this has to say about what or who humankind is. Then God said, let, make, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created Mankind in his own image, in the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And then God said, I give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree that is fruit uh, with seed in it. They will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds in the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. In fact, he he says this after he's created humankind. Up until then, everything is good. But now he creates humankind, and he says, this is very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. And here's the obvious thing that I want to say about humankind. It's the game? Here we go. Was that me or you? That was me? Okay, perfect. Humankind is made in the image of God. We know that. It's what it says. But they live in relation to the rest of creation as part of created things, even as they have a spiritual side that relates to God. Another way to say this, of course, is that we have two natures. There's a part of us that's absolutely human. We are part of creation. God created us. We're in no way divine, totally separate from him. We stand apart from him in so many ways. And it was that way from the very creation, even prior to the fall. It was that way. But the second part of this, of course, is that we're made in the image of God. And so there is a spiritual side to us as well. Something that maybe hungers for him, that has a part of him in us that longs to be reconnected. There's something about us that is spiritual, even at the same time, that we are physical. And I know that's obvious, but I want to make that point. I want us to see that. I also want you to look at Genesis chapter 2, verse 7. 
because this makes the same kind of point, but it just it makes it so obvious. Verse 7 says, Then the Lord God formed a man from the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and the man became a living being. And there's two parts to us there as well. Tell me the earthly part. What is so obvious that it jumps out at us that is so earthly, natural, not God in terms of who we are? What's it say? Dust. We're dust. That's exactly right. We are dust, made from dust, and to dust we will return. So there's something very human about us. We could say, well, you know, like dust of the earth. Okay? But then there's something in this passage that is also just absolutely filled up with God. And what's that? Breath of life. Breathed. That word is a wonderful word. It means both spirit and wind means that in both English, or sorry, in Greek and Hebrew. Both Hebrew and Greek do the same thing. Where they take a common word, in the case of Hebrew, it's ruach. In the case of Greek, it's panoima. And these two words mean both wind and spirit. And so God breathes into us. He breathes wind to us, spirit into us. And that's his spirit that comes into a human being. Made again in his likeness or in his image. And so we can with some confidence say that dust and the breath of God make up who we are. Both. And I'm not going to say it's 50-50 or anything like that. I'm just saying we've got both of these elements in us. Now, we also are given a garden in which to live. Okay? So Adam and Eve are given a garden. It's a creation. It's, it's, not, it's not a spiritual place necessarily unless God is there. It's just a physical place. And they are there. And they have a relationship with the rest of creation. And, and there's even a special relationship formed uh, within this creation where there's a part of the man that is taken out of him and a woman is formed and he has a special relationship with her. And so there's just lots of, of good relationship going on between humankind and creation. But really that's, that's us having relationship with that which we also are. Because there is so much non-spiritual creation that is connected to us. Then, notice that even while we are very natural and have that relationship with all these created things, that nonetheless, God is right there in the midst of all of that. God is walking and talking and fellowshipping with humankind in the garden. They walk and talk with God in the garden, in the cool of the day. And so there's relationship going on. He loves them. He cares for them. He nurtures them. And we'd have to say that there is certainly connection between ourselves and God. For us, there is connection with God, which can only be called a spiritual connection, in fact, I would say, because God is completely spiritual. And so while Adam and Eve are in the garden, or while we're in our garden, we are living out a life that has that very human, natural element to it. And yet, if we're in relationship with God, then something spiritual is going on. There's a spiritual connection between ourselves and this Almighty One. Now, we're not going to read Genesis chapter 3, but there's something really important that takes place in Genesis chapter 3. We've looked at Genesis chapter 1 and 2 a bit. What, what's going on, though, in Genesis chapter 3? What happens there? The fall. The fall happens in Genesis chapter 3. And so all this good relationship that we have with God that begins to form in Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, finds itself compromised in Genesis chapter 3. And it's interesting because when Satan comes and he talks to Eve, 
He tempts her specifically with the physical. And that's, of course, because the physical is separate from God. So he calls her to the physical, something separate from God, and says, you need to eat from this tree. This tree is going to do some things for you that are going to be of great blessing. In fact, you can actually be like God. And if you think about it, that's pretty much a, a, that's an eternally almost carnal notion that human beings, the creation of God, can be like him. And so that very physical thing becomes for her something that distracts her from God. It draws her attention away from God. It works to destroy the spiritual relationship that humankind is supposed to have with God. And in fact, the very spiritual part of us that God has created in us with his image is somehow even compromised with this. So that we tend, every human being, to sin. In fact, we really like sin. We kind of crave sin. You know, the, the word predilection or penchant. We have a penchant, a predilection, a tendency toward sin. And there isn't any human being ever, save one who is both fully human and fully divine, who is able to somehow get away from that. We sin. And in fact, it is this world and the created things, part of which we are, we share in this, it's that which typically takes us away from that which is spiritual. And so I would say that there's some kind of principle at work here. Typically, it's the physical, created things that distract us from the spiritual. And it's pretty much been that way since the beginning. God gave us something really good. He gave us creation. And if you think about it, all the rest of creation... And I, I, I don't know if you would agree with me or not. I tend to think that all of creation was made for us. Like I think the world, the plants, the animals, the air. Like I think all of this actually is oriented toward us, toward our fulfillment. We're the epitome of God's creation. And I think he tended to make all these things for our benefit and blessing. But one of the things, unfortunately, that happens is that all these wonderful, grace-filled things that he gave us by creating all these things then become a source of temptation, a source of distraction. They then take us away from him. And they're not, it's not bad that they're not, I should say, they're not bad in and of themselves. It's that when we have them in front of us, all of a sudden we start to love those things. We crave those things. We want relationship with those things. And that's just not what God wanted to happen. He wanted those things to be good for us and bless us, but not to take us away from him. It's like when, uh, when we went down to Christmas time in Dallas this year uh, to Little Rock also and saw our grandkids. We had a discussion before we ever went down about what we were going to get them for Christmas. And here's what was on the table. Are we going to get them some kind of electronic gaming system? They're of an age now where they would love that. And their parents... Uh, maybe not quite in the position to get the system that the kids would want, but then there's Pappas and Grammy, the, the eternal benefactors of our lives. They, they can get us anything. And so I'm sure they, was, they were thinking, you know, we can get a, an electronic gaming system from Pappas and Grammy. That, that would be something they would be thinking about. Well, we did actually talk about that, not with them, but with their parents, about this possibility. 
And we decided, in conjunction with the parents, not to do that. We didn't do it. We chose not to get that because their parents said, it wasn't so much Grammy and Pappas not making the decision, but their parents said, you know, if you make that decision, if we get this gaming system, then our kids are going to spend all their time on the gaming system. And all of a sudden, the relationship that they have with their parents is not going to be all that it should be. And maybe even the relationship that they have with each other is not going to be all that they should be. And it could be you're going to come down here for Christmas to spend time with your grandkids, but all they're going to want to do is be on the Xbox. It's probably true. Personally, I think I look better, talk better, that I'm funnier than the Xbox. But the grandkids, I don't think they'd think so. So they would want, I would think, to spend some time with that. And it does do, it can do, some damage to relationships. I don't know if you're aware of this, that there are certain athletic teams now, professional athletic teams, who now have a policy that their players cannot, in certain situations be using social media and electronic gaming devices. And the reason why is because you go and play hockey in Boston, and you're flying back to L.A., and it's an eight-hour trip, and so everybody spends eight hours with their thumbs on some button. And there's no interaction between the players on a team who are supposed to be relating to one another and building relationship. And so the, the administrations of those teams have said, okay, cut that out. We can't do this all the time. And so something that, oh, it's fun. Something that's there for our enjoyment. Something that's supposed to be a blessing becomes in some ways a distraction from relationship and from what we really want for our kids or our teams and for each other. And God, of course, created creation for our benefit, but it can sometimes be a distraction. Sometimes we spend way too much time thinking about those things that God has created and not thinking about the thing that God really wants for us. And that's this. And this is why... Uh, He's concerned because spiritual connection to God is our primary relationship. And if we spend all our time thinking about those things that are in this world and physical, we end up not having the kind of relationship that God really wants with us. You know, the original vision for humanity was consistent fellowship with God. The original vision was that we would be relating to him in very specific ways and him relating back to us, us listening to God, learning from him, becoming what he wanted us to be. And after the fall, all of a sudden, that focus on those created things which were really created for our benefit ends up being so much a distraction and a destroyer of the relationship between God and humankind. Well, Those are some passages, and that's a discussion from some texts from a long time ago, way back in the story of God's relationship with humankind. But in some ways, that hasn't changed. I want you to turn, if you would, to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. It's on page 807. It's in the bottom, if you're looking in the Bibles that are from underneath the pews, you're going to find that in the bottom right-hand corner, actually, of the page. And what I want you to watch for here is 
what are, what are the specific problems that Paul points to? Because he, what he's doing is he's saying to these Corinthians, you are not where you need to be. What is it that he says about them? Chapter 3, 1 Corinthians, verse 1. Brothers and sisters, and notice they're Christians. These are Christians, people who love Jesus, people trying to serve Jesus, people, in fact, who think of themselves as being quite spiritual. Brothers and sisters, I could not address you as people who live by the Spirit, but as people who are still worldly. Mere infants in Christ. I gave you milk, not solid food, for you were not yet ready for it. Indeed, you were still not ready. You were still worldly. For since there is jealousy and quarreling among you, are you not worldly? Are you not acting like mere humans? For when one says, I follow Paul, and another, I follow Apollos, are you not mere human beings? What, after all, is Apollos, and what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe, as the Lord has assigned to each his task. I planted the seed, Apollos watered it, but God has been making it grow. So neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who makes things grow. God is the one on whom we need to be focused here. He's the one that needs to be influenced in your life. But all you can talk about is Paul or talk about Apollos. You're interested in these people who have some kind of influence over your life and through whom you can identify. You want to have maybe some status come to you because you identify with the status of these individuals. He says, isn't that just worldly? Aren't you mere infants? He says twice. Isn't it the case that I can't even talk to you about being spiritual? And isn't that because you are simply so worldly? The basic problem is that they're still worldly. That's their focus. The very things that God created as blessings to them have become now distractions. So that their whole physical nature, their whole physical existence keeps distracting them from being what God wants them to be. Now, I don't know, I don't know if you feel like in your own life there are physical, worldly kinds of distractions that take you away from the kind of relationship that God wants to have with you. But I can tell you there is in my life. There are things of this world that attract me. And because I'm attracted by those things, I sometimes end up focusing on those things more than I need to focus on the Lord. And we need to be careful about this. Because God wants something different for us. Now, uh, let me show you what he wants. I want you to just look back. If you're in the pew Bibles or the Bibles under the seats, it's just kind of up the page, I think. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, I want to start reading with verse 4. My message and my preaching, Paul says, were not with wise and persuasive words. And, and the reason he's concerned about this is because wise and persuasive words, that's just the way the world would be. That's what a worldly speaker would do. But with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. We do, however, speak a message of wisdom among the mature, but not the wisdom of this age. That would be worldly. Or not the rulers of this age who are coming to nothing, 
No, we declare God's wisdom, a mystery that has been hidden and that God destined for our glory before time began. None of the rulers of this age understood it. Why did they not understand it? Because the worldly and because they don't have the spirit. You can't understand the spiritual things if your eyes are simply focused on that which is worldly. None of the rulers of this age understood it, for if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. They didn't even get who Jesus was. However, as it is written, no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. These are the things God has revealed to us by, what does it say? His Spirit. God reveals these things to us by his spirit, not by these things in the world that tend to distract and distort. The spirit searches all things, even the deep things of God, for who knows a person's thoughts except their own spirit within them? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. What we have received is not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may understand what God has freely given us. This is what we speak, not in words taught us by human wisdom, not in worldly words, but in words taught by the spirit, explaining spiritual realities with spiritually taught words. The person within this, uh, without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, but considers them foolishness and can't understand them because they're discerned only through the Spirit. The person with the Spirit makes judgments about all things. But such a person is not subject to merely human judgments. For who has known the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. We are different, he says. Something has happened. We are not like all of those out there who can't begin to understand that which is spiritual because the Spirit has come into us, enabling us to see the spiritual things. We get it. And in fact, Paul is saying, this is where we have to be in order to be all that God wants us to be. So here, Paul is calling us. He's calling us, and in fact, God is calling us to a spiritual perspective about life and even about ourselves. Who are we? We think of ourselves, perhaps, as human beings. And Paul is saying, no, that's not what you are. You are not merely human beings. You're not a product of this natural universe You are a product of God. Now, last week, we talked about zoe. Remember that? What's zoe mean? Life. Means life. And what I said last week, and what I think Scripture says so clearly, what Jesus says in John 10.10, is that this abundant life that we have comes to us only through Him. I came that you might have life and have it abundantly. And so the solution to a truly fulfilling life, we said last week, lies in one place, a profound relationship with Christ and the abundant life he offers. A truly abundant life means a deep, active relationship with the Father, Son, and Spirit. Relationship requires time spent with the Lord. And this is so true. I was talking to Miles in between the two services, and, uh, or, or maybe it was Dana. It was actually Dana, and she was uh, telling me about how they'd had a life group um, last night. Right? Ken, you guys were in a life group last night? And, and Dana said, you know, it was so 
This is her words. She said, it was so deep. It was so deep. Like we were just, we were talking at a level that we don't always talk. Well, what was going on? I mean, I wasn't there. I wasn't part of that discussion. But her description makes me think that the spirit was there. That it wasn't just some human beings talking. If they were that deep, if they were sharing at a profound level, it's because the spirit was there. Giving them at that very moment, life where the Spirit comes in and blesses them. Well, I, I don't know if all of you have had that experience in the last week, the way that particular life group did, but I pray you have. The flesh, the worldly, stands in opposition to our spiritual relationship with God and therefore in opposition to your abundant life. And it seems to me that if we're going to have this kind of abundant life, that something needs to happen. Some people got together last night in someone else's home and they had a discussion. It was very intentional. And because it was intentionally oriented in that direction, they went deep. And I would say that we have to be intentional in our spirituality. It's not just going to happen. We have to make choices. We have to find ourselves in a place open ready to receive. If the Spirit was there last night in their group, it's because some people got together and even if they didn't use these words, they said, Spirit, come. And the Spirit came and blessed them. Something happened. And we have this chance to be intentional about our spirituality. It's not going to just naturally occur and be dominant among us. Instead, the flesh is going to be naturally dominant if we don't do something to let the Spirit come in and work in our lives. And so the question for the morning is, are you open to allowing God to be so present in your daily life that He becomes for you the dominant relationship? Because that's what He wants. He's wanted that from the very beginning to be the dominant relationship in our lives. Satan came along and kind of usurped his place for a bit. And God is saying all the while, I want to be the one who relates to you best, closest, in a most profound way. Jesus said these words, and it's the same idea. Michael mentioned this in class this morning. Jesus said, you shall not live by bread alone. And of course, Jesus wasn't thinking just about bread. Bread there is a word representing all those things in the world that we think are going to give us life. But you can't live by bread alone. Jesus goes on to say, but only by that which comes from the mouth of God. And that's how we live. We need relationship with him. I think we need to be intentional about it. Let's pray. God, we thank you that you have created us who we are. We're grateful that we have the kind of humanity we have, that we have the kind of 
opportunity for spirituality that we have. But we know that sometimes our humanity, the things of this world, get in the way. Sometimes they distract us from you. And yet, Lord, we know that it's only in you and the relationship we have with you where abundant life can be present. And so help us to be open constantly to your working in our lives, your good word, your good spirit, relationship with you. Lift us up, Father, that we might be so close to you that this, these things of the world simply can't be a distraction. We pray through Jesus. Amen.